All right, well, if I could go ahead and have the lights here. You want to give me control of this PowerPoint? Got this first word up here. I thought about having, when I had this, every time I mentioned this word, I thought about uh, trying to get a sound effect that went dun, 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 every time I said it. And uh, I was trying to figure out the tech to get that to happen, and I couldn't quite get it to happen easily without me having to do a bunch of weird stuff. So um, you can just, in your mind, every time I say the word tribulation or trial, if you want to, in your head, just, you know, dun, 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 that would be fine with me. If you feel the need to say it out loud, that's fine too. But if you know me, that will probably distract me, and I won't be able to concentrate for at least 30 seconds afterwards. But that's up to you. Tribulations. Uh, it's interesting, the word that we see in the Bible, when we see the word tribulation, the Greek word that's translated tribulation means pressure. Pressure. Anybody know what that's like? Pressing down. That's what the root of this word, well, we got two hands back here. A pressing down. Tribulation. Pressing together. In the Bible, you'll see words like trials, tribulations, even temptations, all used interchangeably in the scriptures. In fact, there are many instances where you'll see the word temptation in the Bible, and it's the same original word, Greek word, that's also translated trial. I mention all this to say that in scripture, there, there, it's not like we have these distinct categories for temptations and trials and tribulations. They're all kind of, you know, piled together. And when I think pile, I think of some a nasty pile. This is a horrible pile to talk about, isn't it? Dun, dun, dun. Right? In other words, though, this is not limited to hardships that might be caused by the actions of another. Therefore, we can think of trials, temptations, tribulations. Dun, dun, dun. I could just have my father-in-law do that every time. We could think of these things. My wife just said no. Um, we could think of these things as well. Life. I mean, anybody had any hardships in life? Come on, I need some interaction today. I don't want to feel like I'm the only one. Anybody had some hardships in life? I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I ain't the only one. Lots of versions of that too, right? Rejection, death, sickness, illness of all sorts, poverty sometimes. Just the regular pressures and stresses of daily living. Even all these other humans on this planet tend to add to it, don't they? Sometimes they can help, but a lot of times, don't they just add to the pressure? You feel it. We can also think of these things like suffering, hardships, persecutions. In fact, in the Bible, the word trial is used 13 times. Tribulations, 17 times. This is just the New Testament, by the way. Temptations, 12 times. Suffer or suffering is used 80 times just in the New Testament. The words hardships, weaknesses, weariness, afflictions, 81 times in the New Testament. Persecutions, 39 times. So the Bible speaks to this topic. I find this, frankly, very reassuring. I think you might as well. In fact, I've already had you raise your hands little bits here and there. Uh, I'm going to ask you to go a step further, and I'm going to ask the question and say, what, what about you? And so let's start easy. Anybody going through something right now? 
Okay, now, I, okay, I'm, I'm going to have you do that again, but this time I want you to just glance around because I think it's important that you understand you are not alone in this, okay? So I'm going to, uh, if you're going through something right now, raise your hand nice and high, and now glance around. Anybody got some pressures in their life, trials, tribulations? You're not alone. Let me hear some of those things. Now, you don't have to be detailed if you don't want. Some of you may raise your hand, and we may have more than one of you raise your hand and say, some of the trials and tribulations I've been facing illness. Anybody want to raise your hand and share some of the trials that you might be going through right now? Oh, you're not as eager. There we go. We got one. Mm. Oh, okay, and that can be a stress, can it? Not knowing what's coming down the pike, not knowing what's going to happen in your future. Anybody else? Don't be shy. Yeah. Discouraged. Discouraged. Anybody ever feel that? Just discouraged? You ever, you ever wake up and for no apparent reason that you can think of right away, you just feel like there's this dark cloud. Well, actually, the last few days, it's literally been like that outside. But you ever feel like there's like a dark cloud just like residing over your head? And even the joyous things that you might think might bring you some happiness, you're like, yeah, but then it's like, uh, what's the point of being happy about this? It's just all going to get bad anyway. Anybody like that? Yeah? How about sickness? Anybody struggle with sickness? Maybe not this exact moment, but in the last few years of your life, or maybe even currently? That can be a pressure, can it? Tribulation, a trial. How about death? Now, I've been a pastor long enough to know that there's probably not a person in this room that has not been touched that way. Sometimes it's battling for control in your life. That tends to be a bit of a tribulation. You, every time you think you have all your ducks in a row, one of them just sneaks out of the row, doesn't it? Or how about battling? And maybe, maybe this won't be as many of you, but I, this is where I am. Sometimes I, I, I just get sick and tired of Matt. I'm, I'm never quite as diligent, willful, or purpose as I, as I think I should be. And I just get sick of dealing with my own weaknesses. Anybody in here feel that? Oh, I'm not alone there. You might be thinking, why are you talking about this, Matt? I'm going to give you three reasons why I'm talking about this. Number one, pressure. And I use the word pressure instead of the word tribulation. Pressure drives people to church many times. This is one of the reasons why I'm talking about this. Uh, this is the main reason why people come to church. Um, this is a big cause for people continuing to attend a church. It's pressures in their life, tribulations, there's trials in their life. We all obviously have some connection to this topic. In fact, I would not be surprised if you were here today, whether directly from this past week or the past month or the past year, or you go, the past 50 years, right? Whatever it is, some of you might say, I'm here today because, frankly, I'm fed up with this world. I don't know what else to do. I'm, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure. And I wouldn't even be surprised if some of you are here today because a pressure is this very weak. That may have been what drove you out of bed this morning. It's like, I need God. And you think in some way you might find him at a church. That's pretty smart, by the way. I think you will. I wouldn't be surprised at all if many of you 
the depths of your heart, you're going, I'm, I'm here today because there's pressure, there's trials, tribulations, hardship, heartache in my life. And I walked into this building off Poland Road because of those things. Number two, I want to talk about this because this may seem odd, but pressure also drives people away from church. In fact, I think this is one of the main reasons why people leave church. Not pressure from the church itself necessarily, but pressures persist even though they start going to church. And the tribulations persist. And they start reading their Bibles and they persist. They don't go away and they're thinking, what's the point of this? The Pew Research Committee has shown that 49% of the people who have left church have left because of disillusionment with the church. They, they thought they were going to get something they didn't get. 49% of the people that have left. Churches failed them in one way or another. Now, this steps into my own experience. I've gone to church basically my whole life, as far back as I can remember. I've been a pastor, and this is kind of depressing to say out loud. I've been a pastor now for nine years. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but sometimes it seems like it's been much longer. Before that, I helped and served in church teaching Sunday schools and doing counseling for nine years before that. And I really, uh, to be honest with you, the first day that I really gave myself to Christ was 1992. And even though I'd gone to church as a kid, when I finally was like, God, I'm all yours, I don't think there's been uh, hardly a time since then that I haven't tried to serve in one way or another. And I have to say, I'm only saying this to say that in my experience, the number one reason that I hear, like when I talk to people, the number one reason that I hear for people abandoning the faith and along with that the church is because they came either seeking hope or peace but then the tribulations continued or came even thicker, it seemed like to them. And they honestly thought, what's the point? If I'm going to, you know, and then, and then people go even a step further sometimes. They're going to church, but then they, okay, well, maybe I'm not doing enough. So they start reading their Bibles, and then they go, well, I need to pray some more. And they started tacking more and more of these things on that they think are just going to finally earn something with God so that God will give them what they want. And it doesn't happen that way, and they go, well, forget it, and they walk out the door. In my experience, that's been the number one thing that I hear people say. Third, pressure drives people to false teaching. Now, let me just, I'm only going to skim over this one real quick. You have to understand, first of all, there is such a thing. I mean, if two people are saying something different, either they're both wrong or one of them's wrong. But they can't both be right. So if you're hearing something at this place from the Word of God and somebody else comes and they teach something different and it's saying something different, somebody's got to be wrong or everybody's wrong. And the Bible warns us that in the end times and last days, and I think many times that we're getting, getting there, that people will seek teachers, and the Bible describes it, to, to soothe their, their tickling ears, right? They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna look for teaching. And there's many people I've noticed that as they abandoned the faith, they went and found somebody. And I'll tell you what, you can, find, you can find a church in this city that'll just suit exactly what you want it to say. But I don't know about you, I don't want that. I don't want to find a church that says what I think it should say. I want to find a church that says, what's the Bible say, right? Even if I don't like it, I want to go to a church that's just going to speak the truth. And I hope that when you come here, you say, shut Matt up, God, and let you speak. 
Okay, hopefully you don't stop at the just shut Matt up part. But we want to hear God. We don't want to hear Matt's opinions. I don't want to hear my opinions. My opinions are stupid sometimes. You don't want to hear that. We want to hear what God's word teaches. And pressure many times when they don't get what they want from God's word, they go somewhere else until they can find something that they think is going to give them exactly what they want. Pressure, tribulation, trial drives us in a lot of different ways. Now I'm going to take that topic. Let's sit it on the table for just a second. I'm going to run through what Pastor John preached on last week, chapter 14, at the end of chapter 14. In fact, I want to go back real quick and uh, remind you where we're at. For those of you especially that haven't been here, we're talking about the book of Acts. We're talking about Paul the Apostle. He's with Barnabas. He actually set off initially with Barnabas and a guy named John Mark, uh, Barnabas' cousin, I believe it was. And they left from the city called Antioch, which we've talked about. They set sail on the first overseas missions journey, and they made it to this island of Cyprus. They landed here, and then they made it, walked the 140 miles across the island and ended up at the capital city of Cyprus, which is Paphos. There they encountered some opposition. Uh, then they set sail again, and they made it up here to this city, and then they went up to Antioch. This is a different Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia. And they preached the gospel there. They encountered some opposition there, but there were many people believing in the word of God. They're establishing groups of people that are believing in Jesus. And so they're coming to these places and they're going, Jesus Christ is the one true way to God. Now you have to understand, it's not like these areas were void of religion. In fact, the Roman Empire is one of the, the, the eras of history that's chock full of lots of religions. And Paul's coming in saying, this is the one way. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. But then when Jesus made that way, he became the way. He died on the cross, suffered the penalty of all of our sins, took those upon himself and said, now I'm going to take my righteous life. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to take your sin on myself. And he died on that cross, took God's righteous wrath. And so Paul, I mean, that's good news. You mean we don't have to be perfect to get in, get in with God? No. Jesus did it all for you. That's really good news. Nothing, see, nothing now is depending on your performance. That's amazing news. You never have to go, I haven't been good enough to ask God for this or to cry out to him for this or to seek him for that. You never have to do that because Jesus says, I was perfectly righteous and I give you my righteousness. It's been, the Bible uses imputed to you. And you can stand before God, declared, and it's a legal term, justify, that's what the Bible uses, righteous before God. So you can stand before God, completely righteous in his eyes, and nothing has to do with how well you perform. Man, that's amazing. And that's what Paul's going around telling people. He receives opposition because it's going against the religions that are there. He makes it, he leaves this city, and he heads to Iconium, and uh, we were talking about that a little bit last week. Uh, from Iconium, he heads out. He gets some opposition there. In fact, they try to kill him in Iconium, and he sneaks out, right? He flees the city and heads to another place. And he heads down to Lystra, and then he ends, is going to end up in Derby. And so now I'm going to pick up right there, and I'm just going to go through this quickly because we've talked about this. Like I said, John talked about this last week. I just want to lay this out to give a foundation for where we're going to go. Uh, oh, by the way, I don't think I had the... Oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, you're going to hear something in here, and so I wanted to give you a visual understanding. Uh, when Paul and Barnabas at this time, because John Mark has abandoned them, when Paul and Barnabas are preaching, uh, what you're going to read here, they, they, they think Paul and Barnabas are gods. And they call Paul 
Hermes, and they call Barnabas Zeus. Anybody heard of Zeus before? And, and, and it's based on myth, right? What we call myth. But for them, it wasn't myth. You understand that, right? For them, it was that's what they believed. Zeus was God. Hermes was his messenger. And so since Paul was doing the talking, they thought, Paul must be Hermes. He's doing most of the talking. Zeus must be dead. In fact, it's quite possible that they even looked a little bit. This is supposed to be what they thought Hermes looked like, and this is what Bar- uh, um, Zeus looked like. And so it's, since Barnabas was older than Paul, it's quite possible that they even had some resemblance to what they thought they would look like. And so these people are like, it's Hermes and Zeus. They're here. And they get a cow. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to worship. And they're getting ready to worship them. And Paul and Barnabas, once they figure out what's going on, they're like, don't. We're just people, just like you. And then they try to reiterate the truth to them again. And so now we'll pick up in verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So now these cities that they'd visited earlier and they'd gotten some opposition uh, from the Jewish population, the Jewish religion. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they st- he didn't get away with this time, did he? They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. Now the last time Paul heard of the attempt and made it out of the city, this time it happened too fast. I, I illustrated this not too many weeks ago, and I don't have any of those stones up here today, but uh, to, to stone someone, they would get around and they would pick up rocks, big, softball-sized rocks, and just pound them, throw them at them until that person was dead. This is what happened to Paul. Now, we're starting to get into where we're going. Can you imagine doing everything that God called you to do? Going out, go, traveling. I'm willing to tell everybody the gospel, and this is what you get. I think Paul could have struggled a little bit thinking to himself, this isn't panning out very well, God. He gets dragged out of the city now. It doesn't say that he was protected at all. He must have been to some degree, but he also must have been injured to some degree because they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. So he must have been unconscious to some degree and looked dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, so the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went back into the city, entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. He goes down to the next city along his path. He must have looked somewhat injured, would you not agree? The Bible doesn't say he was suddenly healed and he went on. It doesn't say he was protected, he went on. He must have been to some degree injured. So they go to the next city when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Where'd they go? They returned to Lystra. Think back on that journey. Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, there's that word, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, real quick summary of what happens after this. They appointed elders for them in every church, like pastors, right? They appointed people in each of the churches to help lead those little groups that they had established in those cities. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had delivered. And they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to uh, Talia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, their home church where they'd started, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, because... Everybody wasn't reading the 
tweets from at the real Paul. <laughs> you know, they don't know what's going on. They didn't have Twitter. Uh, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Now, I want you to think about something. In that story, when he went back through those cities, there was a verse there that kind of summarized what he taught them as he went back through. Did you catch what it was? I just want to see. I can give it to you in just a second here. Oh, it's already up there. Stupid clicker. Tribulation. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. Oh, see, and you guys were acting like you didn't know. You're all like, I don't know. I don't know. It's right there. It's in yellow. Encouraging them. You're like my kids at school. We don't know. It's on the board. Um, encouraging them to continue. So they go back through, and what do they do? They're encouraged. They say, Can, keep at it. Don't stop. Keep at it. Stay in the faith. Keep at it. Notice the words that says that Luke, now Luke the historian who's recording this, who eventually travels with Paul, he's probably getting this firsthand from Paul. Uh, give me a summary statement, Paul. What, what was it you were saying to them when you were saying this and what it says? And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want to give you two reasons why it was important for those people to know this truth. I'll put that up there for you. Two reasons why it was important for those people to know this truth as Paul went back through. Why was that important? Why, what was the reasoning that Paul may have had as he went back through and shared this specific thing and for you to know this truth? Reason number one, and I'm taking my time because I always get in trouble for clicking too fast through my slides and my note takers are going, I'm writing. Reason number one. Tribulations might actually become heightened or increased because of your faith. This is hugely important. One of the first reasons you, know, you must understand when you decide, I'm going to be a Christian. When you choose to be a Christian, you lie, oh, I'm sorry, you, the tribulations might actually become heightened. They're going to increase. Let me put it this way. When you choose to be a Christian, you align yourself with others who have gone before you. And we talked a bit, little bit about this last week. In fact, uh, I'm going to share a quote from this uh, amazing Bible commentator called Pastor John Gibson. That guy back there. He ended the sermon last week by saying this. Should we go looking for hard times? Paul didn't. Paul fled Iconium rather than be stoned. Did you catch that when we were going through there? I mean, the first time he, he gets worried, he, he gets, he's not like, bring it on. He's like, I'm getting out of here. Later in life, Paul prayed to have physical affliction taken away. There's times where Paul's like, Lord, please relieve me of these things. But hard times are a part of the path God has laid out. We should walk in them knowing that through, and there's that quote, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We don't need to look for hard times. We need to look for gospel opportunities, knowing that hard times may come, knowing that hard times are not a sign we've done something wrong and must stop. Jesus, a little step up from Pastor John, Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are you. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, 
falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In another place, Jesus says, which of the prophets have they not persecuted? You read the scripture, you don't see a bunch of people that when they turn to God, God makes life rosy and happy. You see people rejected, persecuted, tried, many times because of holding on to God, not in spite of it. Like I said, Pastor John talked a little bit about this last week, so I'm going to move on from there. Second, this is the rest of the first reason. When you choose to be a Christian, you choose to go against the flow. You abandon the ways of the world. When you choose to follow the gospel, you abandon the ways of this world. This world is a dog-eat-dog world. This is a world is a get-everything-you-can-get-out-of-it world. This world is enjoy yourself, relax, do something for you world. And when you follow after Christ and choose to be a Christian, you give up all of that. And you go against the flow. The gospel doesn't function that way. Christ, our Savior, sacrificed himself for you. And then he calls you to follow in his steps. To top that off, there are powers at work in this world. I don't know if you know this, but there's more going on here than what we can see with our eyes, is there not? Paul, the apostle, put it this way. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. I don't know a better way to describe this world we live in, this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Heavenly places meaning that spiritual realm. There's stuff going on here. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. I don't think he's called that by accident. When you choose to go against him and against the ways of this world, you're developing enemies that you didn't have before. When you're going along with the world, the world's not your enemy. When you choose to reject the world and follow after Christ, it's like being in the middle of a stream trying to go upstream against everything that's around you. All the people around you, they're going to say the exact opposite of what you read in Scripture. Christ is going to say, give the world's going to say, take, you've given enough. Christ is going to say, sacrifice. The world's going to say, let somebody else sacrifice for you. It's about your time. It's about your turn. You go against what's going on in this world. Last part of this first reason, when you choose to be a Christian, you even go against your own nature. Your flesh who you are. I referenced that earlier with myself. But listen to Paul the Apostle, Romans chapter 7. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now that's interesting. And a lot of people go, I just know there's some good in it. I don't think so. Paul the Apostle, who we've been reading about, he was able to say, by the inspiration of the Spirit in Scripture, I know there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody ever felt that way? Like, I know the right thing to do, I just keep screwing it up. What is my problem? Stupid me. 
You're not alone. That's Paul the Apostle saying that. He goes on to say, he says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Right now, he's, he's referencing some things here because when you become saved, the, the Spirit of God begins to dwell in you. And so he's talking about these, for in my inner being, uh, but I see in my members, my fingers and my toes and my arms and my legs, right, my mouth, my tongue, my brain, I see in my members another law waging a war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. I have felt that so many times. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the stupid body of death? Oh, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ. Understand that in Scripture, it doesn't just say, you get saved. Paul says that very seldom. He usually says, you got saved, but then he'll go, and you're being saved. For things like this, what we just read. You're being saved. You're, you're in this battle against everything else around you and against yourself to do what you know you're supposed to do that God's planted in your head. And I know I'm supposed to do. I keep being selfish. Why am I so selfish? I don't know. You keep this battle, but God's saving you. And you see, they're, they're, you're, you're, you're winning this battle, but sometimes you're losing this battle and it's just back and forth. And then eventually, Paul, almost all the time when he talks about saved, he doesn't talk about it in the past tense. Most of the time, he talks about it in the future tense. Even for people who are Christians who have the Spirit of God, he says, and then one day you will be saved. Because God saves you, he's saving you, and one day he's going to complete the work and you're going to step into heaven, you're going to be free of the stupid body of death. And all your weaknesses, all your shortcomings, all the stuff going around in the world around you will be wiped away. He saved you, he's saving you, he's going to save you. But in the meantime, we fight this battle. Reason number two why it's important to know this truth, that it's through tribulations, many tribulations that you will enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations you enter the kingdom of God. The reason why that truth is important is because, number two, truth changes our perception of tribulations. You may recognize this to some degree or another in small ways. Let me start really small and kind of silly. My wife and I have been watching Rhett and Link. I don't know if you know who they are, but many times they endure eating gross foods. Have you ever watched a show where somebody eats gross foods? Now, I've got to be honest. If somebody came up and they had a, you know, worm soup or something gross like that, and you eat this, I'd be like, no, it's disgusting. I wouldn't. And they said, how about 10 bucks? I'd be like, ah, no. Well, it depends on what time of my life. There was a time I'd be like, 10 bucks, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, up the ante, you know. I mean, now, I, was like, I wouldn't do it for 10 bucks. You know, maybe 20. But, you know, let's say, you know, 100, 1,000. You know, a million. In fact, the bigger the, the, the reward gets, the less gross it's going to seem in that moment. And you maybe go, I mean, right when you're right in, you're like, this still tastes like worms, but, uh, which I don't know because I've never eaten a worm. But I don't think I have. Mom, have I eaten a worm? Oh, she's not in here. But the, the, the greater, get, in fact, when it gets huge, and what happens? You go, piece of cake. How about this one? I still don't get this one very much. There's some people that going to a gym and working out doesn't seem that bad because they have this goal. I don't get it. I think the whole thing's horrible. Every second on that stupid treadmill, I'm like, this is just terrible, as you can tell. 
But there's some people, man, they, they, they get into it. I, I've heard that some runners, they just like love the run. I'm not running unless zombies are chasing me, okay? But some run, they love running and they're like, they, they just enjoy the, because they're, they're, there's some reward that they, they enjoy. I don't get that one. I had to throw that one in there in case some of you like to run for no apparent reason. I always think of my son who has understood this when he was a small child, Samuel. He was standing at our door. I think he was probably about five, maybe. And he looked outside, and there was a marathon thing going on. These bunch, bunch of people ran by, and he looked out the door, and he said, Mommy, look at the idiots running. <laughs> Good job, son. I get it. Truth changes our perception of tribulations. I'll give you one more. This one I don't know at all. The Bible references it, so if the Bible says it, it must be at least somewhat true. The Bible talks about, giving this example, that you know, even a woman who's gone through labor, when that baby comes, and their hand, now I don't know because I haven't gone through labor. I remember my wife squeezing my hand. That hurt, but nothing like what she went through. There must be some benefit when you hold that child because how many of these moms have more than one? They end up having another and another, and I've known... There's something about it. And the Bible says, when, when, the, when your hand, the, 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 thought, the remembering of the pain diminishes. That's true, I think, with many different things. Truth, looking past it, knowing that what's coming at the end is so much better. So to answer this one here, reason number two, let's talk about this a little bit. I'm going to dig down a little bit. The perceived pain and persistence of the tribulation can change with truth. The perceived pain... And the persistence, the, the time span of it, can change with the truth. Let me give you a, a couple of phrases and thoughts that might change with the truth. How about this one? I shouldn't be suffering. I mean, when you are experiencing suffering, if you're, the whole time you're thinking, I shouldn't be going through this, it adds to it, does it not? I shouldn't be suffering. Jesus said this while he was on this earth. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Mm, dun, 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 right? You will. You will have tribulation in this world. There's nothing in the scripture that's ever said, and if somebody tells you it does, they're lying. That says, hey, if you do everything God wants, your life will be, you'll have your best life now. Lie. You don't want your best life now. I got my best life waiting for me. But many of us struggle with this thought, I shouldn't be suffering. Jesus himself said, I've told you these things that you'll know. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. In other words, I know how this ends. How about this one? This is too much. You ever had that when you're in the middle of a, a trial or tribulation? This is too much. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has taken you. That is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. And remember this word tempted, the same word that's translated tempted here is also translated trial, tried. He will not let you, he will not allow, let you be tried beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Notice that the way of escape doesn't get you out of it. The way of escape is so that you can endure it. 
So when you start to say in the middle of those trials and tribulations, this is too much, you can know, you can rest assured, God has promised, I will not let you be tempted, tried beyond your ability, but I've made it possible for you to endure. That's always there. How about this one? You ever go, I just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel anymore. In fact, some of you are sitting there going, I can tell by the looks on your faces, you're going, what light? <laughs> what tunnel? What? Paul says again, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And notice what he says here, for this light, okay, now I'm going to say for this light, and I'm going to pause for you to say the word after that, okay? For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So when you say, this is going to last forever. No, it won't. Because I want to be a truth teller, I will tell you, there's some things you'll go through that will last till the day you die. But that's not forever. Forever's after that. There's an eternity after that. You know, sometimes God delivers us in the middle, in the meantime. But understand that these now deliverances that we get are only supposed to whet your appetite for the final deliverance. I'm going to say that again. Any now deliverances, so if you're praying, God, deliver me for this, and he does it, understand that when God does deliver us from things in the here and now, those now deliverances are only supposed to whet your appetite for the final, ultimate deliverance. It's never supposed to be about this. Finally, this is unbearable. This is unbearable. Or you could add to this, and I'm going through this alone. Nobody understands Paul says again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. One of my favorite verses that has impacted me so importantly is in the Old Testament Psalms that says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. You can know that whatever pressure, trial, tribulation you're going through, that Christ is near. He promises it. He doesn't promise to take it away. But he promises comfort in the middle. I want to close with just a couple more thoughts here because I know that I'm going a little long and we still have a baptism to do. When the purpose of tribulation is believed and understood, it will turn to joy. I want to encourage you with this. It will turn to joy. Like those runners, don't get it. But they do. There is purpose in the here and now as well. Listen to James, Jesus' earthly brother. He said this, he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I can tell you right now, almost every steadfast Christian that I've ever met that's faithful to do what God wants them to do, it did not happen overnight. If they tell you it did, they're not telling you the truth, they're trying to skim over some stuff, you do a little dig and you'll find that people who are steadfast in the faith, they have gone through it. They've been through the ringer. And they will tell you, those things I went through have done nothing but work good in my life, and now I'm steadfast because of what I've gone through. And what's crazy, and I, I mean that in the nicest way, but what's crazy is those people that have gone through these horrible things, at the end of it you go, yeah, but wouldn't you rather have learned that lesson another way or have avoided that? And they go, no, I wouldn't trade that hardship for anything because I know where it got me. And I know if it wouldn't have been for that, I never would have gotten there. That blows my mind. Because there's things that people go through that I think that is unfathomable, if I can say that word. I don't get it. I get glimpses of it. But I hold to these truths because I believe that when the time comes that I have to face those unbearable things that seem so, that the God of all comfort will be there to carry me through. And so I establish myself now. And that's what Paul was doing with these people. He, in, in fact, just think about the impact it would have had as Paul was coming back through these cities, I think, bruised. And he says, don't let go of your faith. It's going to be through tribula many tribulations that you'll enter the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what more impact that would have had with, with the bruise? He had been stoned, bruises, maybe cuts that were healing. And he, he says, hey, it's through this. You want to see a faith? I mean, I just imagine if I was him, I would have done this. You want to see what faith looks like? Looks like this. Ooh. It's true. And Paul didn't want them to let go of that faith because he knows that what's at the end is worth it. So I'll go to Paul's words, Romans 5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, you know what kind of sufferings Paul's gone through. In fact, he, there's other places where he describes all these things. But he says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Last point. There's purpose to be found in what will be waiting for us. First Peter says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory, and honor at the revelation, or think of it as the revealing at the end of Jesus Christ. You stick with the faith. And one of the things you can look forward to and long for is at the end, when you stand before Christ, he looks at you, and I always picture him helping me back up to my feet. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. 
when I picture, when I'm able to enter in, and, and I, I gotta be honest, I gotta use my imagination a little bit, right? Just try, and just try to picture it and think about, man, just standing before the creator of the universe and having Christ look at you and say, well done. I think, man, all those times that I didn't stick it with it, I wish I could go back and change that. But man, it drives me to think forward, to think, I wanna be steadfast, I wanna be faithful because I, I wanna hear those words from Jesus himself, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You did a good job. You stuck with it. You kept at it. What a great thing that will be.